right, I'm going to swim the English Channel. You have to do a six hour non-stop swim to qualify for the English Channel, to even get in to make sure that you're safe and you can swim. I realized that this was a mental game. For the last year, when I was training, I got a lot of backlash, which is quite surprising. From my community, for 14 hours, 44 minutes, you're in that water. And if you're taking a feed, you're like treading water and you're taking your feed and you're... And I stopped for maximum 10 seconds taking a feed because the biggest, like, because the tide is so strong, if you stop for any longer, you're going to head in the wrong direction. and welcome back to another exciting episode of Catch-Ups in My Kitchen with me, Georgia Simmons, host of the podcast. This week is such an inspiring episode as I am in the kitchen today with Leah Chowdhury who in 2018 was the first British Asian woman to swim the channel. That's 14 hours and 44 minutes of swimming in open water with traffic and jellyfish and lots more. In this episode, Leah shares her journey of why she decided to swim the channel in the first place, to the training process, the swim itself, and then how it influenced her whole career and purpose. This is honestly such an amazing episode about mental strength, resilience, and having a can-do attitude. I hope you love this episode as much as I do. It was just fantastic. So please enjoy and as always, have a lovely, lovely rest of your day. Leah, welcome to my kitchen. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. Before we start, do you mind giving a really quick elevator pitch? Who you are, what you do? Yes. So I'm a founder and English Channel swimmer. And then once I started the English Channel, I became a fractional COO. So I support founders to grow and scale their company as well as coach them so go around and like coach and support and do a lot of like inspirational talks workshops at schools in corporate settings and also startup companies amazing I love this because you've taken like a physical challenge and then made it work in a corporate situation which we're going to go into in more detail but it's really really exciting so we have a quick fire to kick things off about all things food okay so sweet or savory sweet yeah i think I'd be sweet. Yeah. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? Overloaded salad every day of the week. Agree. Go to cuisine. Oh, Thai. Good one. Yes. Cook in or eat out? In. All the time. Yeah. And favourite delivery? Oh, it's such a good one. I don't really delivery that much. I know this is really bad because I'm vegan, but Anandos. <laughs> oh my god, hold on, you're vegan, but Anandos. Are there good are there vegan oh, options? Great vegan options. Oh yeah. I didn't know this. Yes, great vegan my my brother um like loves his Nando's so I can't miss a Nando's and order and I'm like what do I get and I'm now yeah they do great vegan options wow this is new to me (laughs) okay I want to start off with quite a big question which is why did you decide to swim the channel yeah this is a question that's quite emotional to me even now like so many years later I swam the channel back in 2018 and how it all began was about a couple of years before I kind of throughout my life I've done different charity work like I've kind of supported different children's charities focusing on children Um, and I think I wanted to find my new challenge so I went out and was like okay right where can I go who can I support I was introduced to a a trust called the British Asia Trust so it was out in India this project so I went out to India and um, they took me to Mumbai and this like street called Falkland Road and I walked down the street and they took me into this, all I could say is this shovel, disheveled, I want, I'm not even going to call it a home, it's a, essentially a brothel. So these young women who were sold by their families, um, probably at the ages between 11 and 13, were promised a better life. So coming in for education into the cities, or work, or home, or shelter, or something like that. But in fact, they're being sold into the sex slave industry. Um, so these women were, yeah, eleven to thirteen when they were le- when they left their families. So I walked into this this brothel, um, and it was awful. It was rat infested. There was wires hanging from the ceiling. It was it stunk of urine. It was pitch black. It was uninhabitable. I don't know how anyone lived there. 
And I walked into one of the rooms and the room was the same size as a UK prison cell. That's how big it was. Like I worked it out when I got home. And in this room, there was like three planks and they were all raised and underneath were all these pots and pans and they're essentially their livelihood. And these women was, I say women, these girl, young girls at 18 at this point probably, sitting on these benches. And these girls were soulless. They were beaten and bruises all down their arms. Um, and I just looked at them and I was just like, you were probably about, at this time about four or five years younger than me. And I was just like, this is a different world. And I started talking to them and one of the girls said that she was sold at the age of 13 and she was tied to her bed for two years. And she was beaten and she was raped to the point she was so psychologically damaged that she was like, just numb, became completely numb. And I was just like heartbroken at this. Like, I was like, how is this happening in the 21st century? These girls are similar age to me. I'm from India, that's what was drawn in back there. I was like, we're from the same origin. Like, just because of my choices that my parents and my grandparents made, I've had a beautiful, incredible life. And look at the look at the disparity. And then I remember looking on the door frame. I say it's a door frame, but there was no door. It was just a frame, the entrance to the room. And there was like a tallying mark and it was like in carved tally. And I was like, what is this? And the girls were like, oh, well, this is how many acts, like perform, the sexual acts we have to perform on men to be released. But the pimp, the guy that was like running it, knew how many clients he would get. So every day would psychologically manipulate them to be like, well, you have to do five, or you have to do six, knowing that there's only gonna be three or all this kind of stuff. So they would like properly like kind of psychologically trauma them and, and manipulate them in that way. And I was like on the brink of tears and I was just like, I don't know how people, this is happening. Like it, it was just crazy. And then all of a sudden, all of these children start running in and they were like half white, half Chinese, like, like from the, like, like fully Indian. And I was like, who, whose kids are these? Like, where, where, where is this? And they come from these women turned around to me and was like, Oh, there are our children. Like we performed, sex, uh, had sexual activities with clients, or got raped, and we've fallen pregnant, and we we don't have form of like contraception, and they've given birth to these children, and I was like, so where do these kids live? Like, what do they do? And they were like, oh, they sleep underneath with the pants of pans underneath the plank of wood, and I was like, what? And they're like, so they watch their mothers performing these sexual activities on these men, and this is what they grow up with, and that was the moment when I realised I was like. I need to do something so ridiculous and so crazy. People ask me this question of like, why? Why did you want to take on this challenge? So I came back and I was like, I need to do something. And I researched like, could I climb Mount Everest? Can I do this? And then I actually realized that five times amount of people have climbed Mount Everest and swam the channel. So I was like, right, I'm gonna swim the channel. And I realized that no British Asian woman had ever done it. And the British, first British Asian man was 40 years before me. So, <gasps> Yeah, so I was like, right, that's it. This is my challenge. So I decided, right, I'm going to swim the English Channel. I mean, I've got goosebumps with that story. It's the kind of thing that you know is out there, but you don't really believe it is actually there. And, like, for you to see that with your own eyes is, like, how is this even possible? How? Mm. It's so heartbreaking. It's crazy. So all the money that you then raised, I'm guessing was to go towards yes these women so i raised girls already yeah so i raised 55000 pounds 55k for them um and then so i then helped support so they who who i was supporting was the children so the next gen so um they now they have a shelter that's a couple of doors down now that where they live and they go to school and come back to this like accommodation where it's like they're taken care of so they don't have to go back to the the brothel where their parents are where their mothers are um, so I've supported kind of like the education through that and like building that infrastructure and things like that to support the, the next gen. Oh um, and I went back actually a couple of, like a couple of years ago and I was speaking to the children and they're just so optimistic. Like they're just like we're going to be footballers, teachers, like everything. The world is their oyster, and it just gives you a perspective of life of like what am I doing? Like when 100%. I feel sad, a hundred percent. But like, how can we like? This is like a million dollar question, I'm sure. But like, how, why can't we stop like the pimp who's in control of all these women? So yeah, that is a great question. I think it's also the fact that they're providing a livelihood to these young women. And these young women are so psychologically believe that, uh, abused that they are like almost in love with that pimp. They're like, they've provided us shelter accommodation. Like it's that Stockholm syndrome kind of, mm. you like, 
And if you rip that away from them overnight, they're then there's a lot of psychological abuse that you need to work through. They need to like build up their skills. The pimp is not going to just turn around and let us have access to their livelihood either. They allow us to come in because essentially the kids are putting off like potential clients. So if we can get them out and look after them, they've kind of got some sort of arrangement with the trust, which is amazing, which is how we've got them out. But I think for us, it was like breaking the cycle and then supporting those women as much as we can through that process. And obviously, if we can get them out, 100% that we would do that. But it's like, that's not a job that we could do overnight. Whilst with the children, we really can. We can be like, let's... And I remember the story where we were there and one of the young women came into the shelter where the kids were. And we're like, I'm coming later with the pimp. And he wants the daughter to come back to the shelter to like start priming him, her. And she was like, whatever you do, even if I beg you, do not let me have my child. Do not let me do it. So we were pre-warned before this happened. And then a few hours later, she came with the pimp and she was like begging as if, like, she actually wanted the child to come back with her. We were like, no, no, no. So it's crazy how much politics, dynamics go on behind the scenes that as a Westerner and outsider that you just don't understand. So yeah. Oh my God, it's crazy. Okay, that makes sense. So what you've, kind of put in place is like step one of trying to break the cycle which is so much bigger and stronger than just sorry mate you can't do this anymore like it doesn't quite work like that I presume whereas when you first hear it you're like well let's close the whole thing down like but I guess you can't do that to that and the amount of people that said that to me like what happened to the girls what happened to the young girls and I was exactly the same that 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 feeling of like I want to help them they've gone through the abuse like obviously as well as the children but yeah. like I want to go in and save them put my cape on and be like like the savior but actually yeah. it's a lot more than that there's a it's their livelihood it's their I can't come in I think sometimes when you go in and you're like you feel that you can support them it's actually like no you don't know what's gone in my life and what's what's got me to this point God, so. it's crazy yeah okay so you've now decided to swim the channel which is not an easy task so how do you then go about the training for this because so step one is choosing what you're doing step two is then now what so what did you then do what was the training that you went through to get to the kind of start line I guess yeah a lot of research initially so a lot of research to work out how the hell am I going to do this I didn't know anyone that's from the channel I had no one no role models like there wasn't even another British Asian woman I could call up and be like okay and I think there's also that element of like being a British Asian woman like there's we I I find that a lot of British Asian women have stomach issues and stomach problems and we have like that I think it's also it's just an kind of inherited thing in the Asian community that was also a fear of mine like I had suffered from IBS like how is that going to impact like if I'm eating more if I'm getting in water that's dirty like is there a role model I can speak to being like how did you find this like all this kind of stuff and I didn't really have any of that so I did a lot of research I found the best coach out there that was going to train me and I also worked with a nutritionist um, and then there was a channel swimming association which is like the governing body so they had a website with lots of information and they taught, taught us how like to get a boat and um, that safety boat that actually goes alongside you and when you need to book that and how much it's going to cost so there was a lot of great information on there but for me it was telling my parents that was the biggest moment. Like, okay, how did that go? Yeah, that was a bit that was just like, oh God. So I think it was prepping, getting all the information and facts and making sure that I had all the answers to their question um, questions because I feel like for them, it was like, it's a life risking challenge. Like, are you crazy? Like, this is my daughter. I know you're helping other people, but you're my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in fully prepared, like ready, did all the fact checks, got everything sorted, sat down with my parents, got my screen up, got the Channel Swimming Association website ready. Asked, I was like, mum, I've decided they were at the project with me, thank God, because they, they were emotionally turned and turmoil, turmoil as I was. Fine, and I was like, helps. right, yeah, you're on this journey with me. I've decided I'm going to swim the channel, but don't worry, there's a Channel Swimming Association, there's a governing body, it's very official. Here's the website. Typed in the website, turned it, didn't look at the homepage, and the homepage said, The condolences to the family who lost their daughter in the swim last week. And I just was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Literally. You couldn't have written that. Like, you're like, But don't worry, that won't be me. This episode is brought to you by Parlor, the sustainable solution to all your oral care needs. We are now at the start of a new year, which is a perfect time to make some small changes in order to live more sustainably. 
Our toothpaste tubes and mouthwash bottles are not recyclable and not biodegradable. So every toothpaste tube you've ever used still exists on the planet today, which is mind blowing. So whether you're looking for some high gloss whitening toothpaste or mouthwash with probiotics inside, Parlor is the answer. And by using Georgia Simmons, you can get 10% off your first order by heading to www.parlortoothpastetabs.com or clicking the link in the show notes. Make a purchase, make a small change, and that will have a huge impact on the environment. Now let's get back to the episode. Like, oh my God. What do you, what do you say in that moment? What? So yeah. they were obviously then like, absolutely not, you're not doing that. Yeah, they were like, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? What are you doing? And I, and I think it took them a little bit of a while to understand. I was like, I think also my journey didn't start in 2018 with charities. Like I started my charity journey when I was seven years old. When I first went back to India, I, I witnessed poverty for the first time. And I saw a young girl in Delhi traffic and she was disheveled and she hadn't had a meal and she was begging and gesturing for food, a tapping on my car window. And I think she was holding a, sis, a, a little sister and I just was like, I don't understand why our lives are so different. Like I'm seven years old, this kid's seven years old. She's got a sister, I've got a sister, I've got brown skin, she's got brown skin, why? Yeah. And I just didn't know. And I think that's when I came home and I decided to give up chocolate sweets and fizzy drinks for a year. Cause I was like, that is my thing. This is like big for me as a seven year old. So I started doing that and then I did the London Marathon. So I think for my parents, it was a bit like, we knew that there was going to be another thing. It's just a matter of what it's going to be. So I, I explained to them, look, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm safe, but also understand that I'm quite spiritual. I'm like, I know why I was put on this earth. I know my calling is I want to make the world a better place. Mm. However, I can do that. And I know that this, I need to do this. And they understood and they got it after a while. It was like a yeah. couple of, it, was a, it wasn't just overnight, but they were the, my biggest supporters. That's and they supported every single minute, and every single like part of my journey. And my brother was on my safety boat, cheering me on. So I was very, very blessed to have people that were like by my side that were big, my biggest cheerleaders. Yeah, that is amazing. So you had a coach and you had a nutritionist. Let's touch on these things. So firstly, from a fitness perspective, what did you have to go through? What was the training like? What was your kind of like long swims? Where were you doing it? What was that like? So yeah, so it was an 18 month kind of period of training, like intense training. Before that, like I swam, but it wasn't like intense. So it was five five days a week in the pool so you could you aim to get out in open water as much as you can but living in England like look at the weather today like yeah. you just can't get out no, like it couldn't be worse today no. <laughs> just to paint the picture it's, the rain is just hammering down so it's you don't awful. want to be doing that in open water exactly so there's a very very small window in the UK where you can actually swim in open water so when I could I was swimming in the docks so dirty, dirty water. Yeah. Um, and also swimming in Thorpe Park Lake. So out, out as much as I could. Um, but that was probably about four months of the year, four or five months of the year. The rest I was just in the pool. And I was doing land training. So once a week I was doing land training. So about 10 hours of pool training and then one to two hours of land training. So that was about 18 months. And then six months prior, I went out to Croatia and was like doing open water swims there and trying to get out as much as I can. Um, so I and naively I thought open water swimming and pool swimming was very similar I was a swimmer growing up I was like this is fine it's like turning around to a ski and being like you're gonna snowboard next week yeah. whip is a whole different ball game we're playing with yeah so it was a new very new because you've got currents you've got exactly. I feel like the texture of the water feels different mm. it feels thicker to kind of go through am I kind of right in 100% that? yeah completely agree like it's it's you are swimming against that tide yeah. and you don't know where you're going. So you don't have like lanes on the bottom of the pool. Like you, like you just, you have to constantly looking up, mm. checking the direction of where you're going. Um, so the style of strokes very different and you're completely right. The current and the strength and the, it's a different, you have to have a different body shape, like strength in upper body is a lot more yeah. than it is required in, in the pool. So let's then talk about nutrition because I believe you had to gain weight for this, which is something that I would also, on that, you're exercising so much, burning loads, plus you have to gain weight because of, you mentioned it was because of hypothermia. 
talk about this whole journey because that's that sounds really quite tough yeah I think when people initially say like you've got to gain weight and you've got to eat loads of food initially reaction is like yeah this is great like I get to eat whatever I want yeah. and I've got to do it exactly yeah. well I've got to have this, the second burger because my nutritionist has told me but actually sadly I'm a massive foodie and I fell out of love with food because like you mentioned the biggest risk of death when you're swimming the English channel is hypothermia so you have to gain fat so on top of training when you're building muscle you've got to gain a layer of fat and that means calorie huge amount of calorie intake so I was on about 3,200 a day god can you give a like slight day in the life what you were eating to get to 3,000 calories a day just to put it into perspective because that is a lot for a girl yeah for for us it's yeah you're almost doubling right so I was having a full English breakfast to start with so at the time I wasn't eating meat so that's a whole different story I'm sure we'll get into but at the time I was eating meat so it was like sausages bacon two or three eggs beans like a full English and then a couple of hours later I was having like more eggs protein as a mid-afternoon snack big lunch lots of carbs carb load like pastas things like that for lunch not like my salads which I hand over heart love a good salad I know yeah. that sounds so weird but I no, do but with all the different toppings and components oh, you can't love it you right? can't beat it yeah and then in the evening I would and then I would have another mid snack and then I was having an evening meal before I was training and then I was having another meal when I was getting back so I'm yeah you're it's eating a lot. a lot of food so yeah it was a really really challenging time to like you just constantly like eating and yeah and then mentally going through this journey we haven't even got to race day yet, but mentally, how was that in terms of the kind of determination? Because at the end of the day, you're forcing this on yourself. No one's saying, yeah, you've got to get in that ocean. You've got to start, you know, no one's saying that. So how was it mentally? That was my biggest challenge. Really? 110%. I failed, like, badly. So I did not prepare enough for this challenge mentally. So six months before when I went to Croatia, you have to go in and do a qualifying swim. So you go in and you you have to do a six-hour non-stop swim to qualify for the English Channel. So even get in to make sure that you're safe and you can swim. And the day before I got into the water, and the water was so choppy. And it was, it was huge waves and it was raining a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do a two-hour swim. So I got in um, and I got into the water and I panicked. And I started hyperventilating and I started crying. My goal was filled up with water. Um, and six minutes in, I got pulled out. And I burst into tears. At this point, I had raised £100,000 for charity. And so that 100K was just like on my weight of my shoulders. And I was like, how am I going to do it? If I don't get in tomorrow and do my qualifying swim, I am not going to get the chance to swim the channel. So what the hell has happened here? Like, I've done the coaching. I've done. I've got. got I listened to my coach. I've done all the food and nutrition. I've been to the physio. I was there. I was a perfect student. I was an A star student. Yeah. So what have I not done? And then I realised that this was a mental game, and fifty percent of this swim, in it was mental. And I realised that actually in life, a lot of what we want to achieve is fifty percent mental, which is why I've got into doing what I'm doing now, and. I realized I had to, I had a lot of backlash swimming. For the last year, when I was training, I got a lot of backlash, which is quite surprising, from my community to saying that I was too ambitious, that I I actually got, someone came up to me and said that I should, as an Indian, I should stick to cricket, not swimming. We don't see Indian swimmers. I got, <sighs> auntie came up to me, an auntie, an Indian auntie came up to me and said that do you know that you've gained a lot of weight and you look awful and you're never going to meet the love of your life and get married because you look you've looked like you've gained a lot of weight and I was just like so I got surprisingly a lot of backlash through that year and I think at that point when I failed I realized that I'd been listening to that and I and those voices had got into my head so I sat down and I journaled all the reasons why I could do this and all the reasons that I had I believed in myself and I wouldn't listen to those voices and I listened to podcasts and I read chapters of books and 12 hours later I got into the exact same conditions and I completed my six hour qualifying swim purely 
because I trained my mind. And in that moment, I realized for the next six months, I had to put more emphasis on training my mind mentally than I did my physical training. And because otherwise I would not swim this channel. God, that is incredible, but it's so true. We are the only thing stopping us from doing anything. We can all do everything, whether you want to run a marathon, whether you want to, I don't know, start a business, whatever you want to do, you're the only person stopping you doing it. And that is just the perfect example. Like yeah. two days apart, you did six minutes and then six hours. Mad, isn't Like it? that is incredible. Wow. And the community thing, let's just quickly touch on that. Absolutely. Because... That is also crazy that, you know, you've got that kind of backlash. And like, how was it afterwards? Did people come back and apologize? Or was it not quite like that? Or yeah, yeah, how was the whole thing? Yeah, so I think to caveat, majority of the people were super, super forced. There's always a 10%. Yeah. You probably find this even with your podcast. You get those odd comments and those keyboard warriors and, and... I, and it's a small percentage, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't, you're human, right? Like, mm. it doesn't mean that it doesn't get into your head. So I was very surprised because I didn't think I was going to get it. And I got it from different communities and different people. So I got it from, like, my Asian community, mainly from, like, the aunties that thought they knew better. And they would say things like, yeah, like, I was gaining weight. I was too ambitious. I wouldn't meet someone. Um, and all of this kind of stuff. And then I also got it from, like, individuals that were like we shouldn't I shouldn't be swimming the channel because I was a woman or I was Asian and so it does play on your mind and it really and it really like impacts you if you allow it to that's the key if you allow it to yeah and when I swam the English channel they were my biggest supporters they turned around and was like I I knew you could do it and I'm like really did you did you know you could do it really yeah (laughs) but they never apologized they never said sorry they just was like I always supported you I knew I could be and I was like did you Really? <laughs> it is crazy how like you know the whole you're a woman and because you're Asian still comes out and like yeah. that that's still spoke like really Are we still talk we still on yeah, this like still on this. I, that's amazing like that blows my mind I'm yeah. like what why is that even a topic right now like I, I know but it clearly it's it's that's just crazy and you would be, would have been such an inspiration for so many people which yeah. I'm sure when you were swimming you were probably thinking well maybe you weren't thinking that but like now in hindsight you can be like wow like I now hope that another girl can then look up to me and be like I want to do the same thing um so the actual swim itself yeah I mean let's touch on kind of conditions because obviously we are in the ocean so there's like animals in the ocean <laughs> jellyfish um traffic maybe talk about the actual swim itself because I mean the distance is one thing but like there's a lot more that goes on so yeah please touch on that 100% so I found out not like a couple of months before that actually the channel is the busiest shipping crossing in the world so that was definitely something I had to battle with um the tide's obviously very very strong when you actually swim the English channel it's not like from England to France it's like England to France like because the tide is so strong so it's pushing you in one direction than the other but yeah like you said there was a lot of sea life so I was dealing with really bad jellyfish stings um I got stung all the way up my arms there was one point where there was a jellyfish stuck between my goggles and my face and I was like ripping it out it was horrendous oh my god yeah yeah so obviously you have to kind of get back into the boat sort yourself out and get back in oh, or no, just no. keep going so one of the channels, the Channel Swimming Association has loads of rules. And one of their rules um, is that you're not allowed to touch anyone or anything throughout your whole swim. So you're not allowed to stop. You're not allowed to hold on to like the boat. You're not allowed to like nothing. So for 14 hours, 44 minutes, you're in that water. And if you're taking a your feed, you're like treading water and you're taking your feed. And, you're... and I stopped for maximum 10 seconds taking a feed because the biggest, like, because the tide is so strong, if you stop for any longer, you're going to head in the wrong direction. Oh my god! Yeah, so is... you're stinging and you're sw- you're getting stung and you are swimming through it. <gasps> yeah. Did you cry at any point whilst you were doing this? Do you know this sounds so bizarre? But someone said, "What did you think about when you got stung?" And I was like, "It was kind of a relief because hear me out." Because... Yeah, please please enlighten me. <laughs> I really suffered badly with lower back pain. Um, you're shot like every, as you probably know, everything's linked in your body. So I was getting like from my shoulders like it was going down my back and then to my lower back and I was getting really bad bad lower back pain and it was really like ma- making a lot of impact on my stroke my like style of stroke all that kind of stuff so when I got stung it took my mind off my lower back pain 
even if it was just for like half an hour, mm. it just made me think of something else. And like, that's how I had to reframe it because I just, otherwise you just can't, you just psychologically just going to break down. Like, yeah. so it was kind of something else to focus on. So I was like, okay, I'm focusing on this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just about, again, it's just about reframing these things and what you do. And you could do this to any area of your life. If you're like setting up a business, if you're, and you come across a hurdle, it's just about reframing that. And it's like, okay, does this mean that this failure, which I always say is fail stands a first attempt in learning, mm-hmm. is like, am I now one step closer to where I need to be? Or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I just think the power of reframing is going to be a game changer for anyone, whatever situation they're in. Yeah, completely. And I talk about failure quite a lot. And like people, some people hate the word and like, I said to my dad recently, like, oh, I failed loads. And he's like, oh my God, no, you haven't. He got really annoyed at me. And I was like, no, no, no. But I'm, I I, love the fact that I failed. Like, I'm that makes me excited because I know I'm heading in the right that. direction. And he was like, don't use the word failure. You're like, you're not a failure. Like, you've done this. That. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not a failure. But I have failed. Like, it's different. Yeah. And I was, because obviously I mentioned I had a business before, Greedy Vegan, failed. Not, it wasn't a failure, but like, it didn't work. I've closed it. I've moved on. Before, um, since that, I was going to start a like, PR marketing business with a girl. It, we started it. It didn't work. Closed it. Another failure. Again, I'm not a failure, but those didn't work. Yes. And like all those things build up to like where I'm going now. And like you learn so much from all the experiences. Yes. But like I love little failures. And yes. it sounds like ridiculous, but like they are yeah. really, really good things. Do you know what? That's an achievement mindset. Like having that, be able to frame failure in that way is just phenomenal because then you're being able to embrace that because you're willing you're willing to try new things because you don't care of the outcome. You're like, I'm going to do my best, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like yeah. you look at the most apps, the celebrities that have made it in their life, J.K. Rowling, she didn't write Harry Potter till she was in her 30s and she was on benefits, she was a single mother. Like she failed, right? But yeah. she got there in the end and it's about like you're then one step closer you're then and I completely agree and I think maybe it's also a generational thing like our parents think of it as like no you can't fail like that's a bad thing but like actually for me I'm exactly the same I'm like let's do it because I know I'm one step closer yeah definitely and also I think people like used to not want to talk about the failures because they'd be like oh like the image would be like you know, you want to kind of like fake it you make it and like have that kind of strong image. Yeah. I'm all for fake it you make it, by the way. <laughs> like that does wonders. But like, I think that sometimes talking about it is relatable and like people like the story and the journey and like people love 100%. seeing that kind of like inside scoop now. So I think it is definitely like you say, like a generational, definitely. a generational thing. But just touching quickly back onto the swim before yes. we go on to like life after oh, the sorry, swim. Because yes. <laughs> like there's so much in that as well. But when, so you were doing it for 14 hours how many minutes 44 minutes 44 minutes my god okay so when you were saying you had like those little 10 second feeds what are you consuming in that time so it's all electrolytes so it's just all liquid put into a bottle so they put it it was um a float and they cut a hole stuck a bottle in it put on a dog lead threw it out to me took the shot and then it's getting wheeled back in and oh, that's wow. literally it. So yummy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> love lovely. it. So no solids were consumed. And um, towards the end of my swim, I started going a bit blue. My hands, my lips, because we're so cold. And um, then they gave me like sugar, so I was like like um, jellies and things like that to keep my energy levels up. But no food was consumed. And actually, I had my nutritionist asked me to have a, a peanut butter and jam sandwich before I got into the water. But the water was so choppy. The first two hours I was being sick and throwing up and um, I had really bad seasick whilst she was whilst I was swimming so I was like throwing up and like swimming and like <laughs> no yeah oh my god yes oh no that's terrible yeah basically swimming through your own yeah, it's sick. sick it's great that, it was lovely. lovely lovely wow yeah okay so then you get so where do you finish so I started at 4 45 a.m in the darkness swam and then you don't actually know where you're going to finish because the tide's so strong it's just like you'll just keep swimming till you get there so there's like really really small percentage that you land on a beach and I ended up landing on a beach in France which was awesome and then like I got onto the water and all these people came running down and one of the ladies was like I've been tracking your swim on the app for like the last four or 14 hours can I have a selfie and I was like my moment of fame was here and oh <laughs> never happened again oh my god that is amazing yeah. so then that's where I ended up and then you get back onto rubber dinghy and then you go onto the main and then you you go back i am proud to announce that i am now an affiliate of huel 
If you have made some New Year's resolutions to start the year, such as getting more protein into your diet or eating a hearty and healthy breakfast, Huel may just be the answer. I love having my fridge stocked with Huel for those mornings where I'm on the go or if I have a podcast recording and want to grab something without making my kitchen messy, Huel is always my go-to. After having James Collier on the podcast, I can confirm that when they say each bottle is nutritionally complete and that each bottle contains 26 of your essential vitamins and minerals, they are right. My go-to flavor is chocolate and vanilla. So if you want to start adding some healthy habits into your everyday, place your Huel order today. Click the link in the show notes and place your order. Honestly, I love having my fridge stocked with these products. It's easy, convenient, and also super delicious. Let's get back to the episode. Wow, so you don't stay in France, you go straight back. Straight back. I was okay. actually doing a school talk the other day and they were like, one of the children was like, excuse me, miss. I was like, yeah, she was, did you swim back to England? And I was like, take on. <laughs> one way was enough. Yeah, yeah, no, no, one way, I'm done, I'm done. Okay, now I have a question. What did? You, what was the first thing that you ate afterwards? Probably no appetite, to be honest. Um, crisps. I had salt and vinegar crisps <sighs> nice. because I was craving salt, salt, clearly. Yeah. So yeah, salt and vinegar crisps. Oh, I think it might have been, no, it was actually, no, it was prawn cocktail crisps. Because, but I was not vegan at the time, so prawn cocktail crisps. Okay, yeah. wow. Honestly, this is just incredible, incredible story. So... After this, you have now written a book about it, a yes. children's book. Yes. And you're going around talking about your experience kind of two children in schools. What, why and how has that been? It's been incredible. I've loved every single moment of it and just so unbelievably blessed that I get to do this on a full-time basis. Like I get out and speak to the next gen. So I think how it all came about was I finished my swim and I was like, right, what's next for me? And everyone kept asking me the question, like this is a massive feat what what are you do, what are, how are you going to top this you did the london marathon then you did the channel and then now what's next so there's actually a a um a challenge which is called arch arc and it's like marble arch you run from like mar i think it's, you run from marble arch to dover and then you swim from dover to france and then you cycle from france to arc de triomphe and i'm like hell no that is not for me that's intense <laughs> um so i was like no and i was like reflecting back on what like what i want to do and like my life and all this kind of stuff and i was like do you know what? I'm now ready to go out and speak about my journey and speak about my story and how I've got to this and with the hope that it will inspire the next generation or other people to then have their own channel swim. And so my the story of my book, Making a Splash, is about my journey from the age of seven through to swimming the English Channel and how that all came about. And it's about the, it's a children's book based on like my life and the, the story kind of talks about the focusing or the moral of the story is kind of um, importance of mental resilience and like that element of how having that I can't changing that I can't I can, but also the importance of giving back. So making a splash in the world is what the book's called, making a splash and making a splash in the world. Um, so I hope that that will inspire even inspire some three people, and then that inspires three people. The hope of that making that ripple effect. Um, so yeah, so I decided right, I'm going to write a book, and I wrote a book, and now. A, some a poor proportion of my a portion of my time goes on to speaking at schools but I also kind of um, coach founders and carry on doing that I kind of go into startup companies and work as like a fractional COO to like scale and grow their companies and support them talk about mental resilience and how we overcome as a as a founder myself what I've overcome Amazing. and then I also go into corporate settings and work with like the early years like cohorts like apprentices interns um kind of grads and talk about a lot about imposter syndrome and going into a corporate space and being like oh, I don't know I don't know if I belong here and how we talk about mental resilience when it comes to that too. Amazing it's so great that schools and corporates and businesses are kind of wanting this service as well because like as we said mindset is everything and like if you're inspiring people to like change their mindset look at things differently like they will completely change the way that they work and the way they perform and like it's so great that people have that like thought process right I want to invest in changing the mindset of the company and the employees and the students and all of that like imagine if I had that school that's amazing like yeah. I just remember like learning algebra like it, yeah. that I don't ever use like yeah. you know it's kind of like amazing to have those kind of conversations in school so early yeah. because then it could have broadens your horizon then people can think oh I can do this rather yeah. than like you say I can't yeah so yeah it's amazing though because I feel like you lose that sense of self 
self-belief as we get older. So I always find that in my younger students, it's just reinforcing that point. And they love it and they know it already and they're, they're going to be the astronaut and they're going to be this. And they believe in themselves. But when they go through life, especially through their teens and their and and through like if they go to university or they're doing a degree apprenticeship or whatever it is they lose that faith in themselves and then I'm speaking to founders who are like I don't know if I'm going to make this and it's amazing how you see that evolution over time and actually we really need it and I'm Mm. so glad you're so right like corporates are recognizing how important this is Mm. I think one of the things is that we do live in a comparison culture now where we are constantly comparing ourselves and then we self-doubt and I think when you're so young you're so naive and you're in like a bubble and you're like I'm the best and like you know you're in such a like you land you've got your friends and like you might compare school shoes but like you know it's all fine whereas as you get older the comparison's just on a larger larger scale and like Mm. you're not comparing yourself to your best friend at school you're comparing yourself to like anyone in the world because we've got anyone at our fingertips and I guess that's where you know the self-doubt comes in Mm. and where we actually need more self-belief and like I can rather than I can't it's just crazy and I think this kind of leads quite nicely into like manifestations and affirmations when those two words are quite woo-woo-y and I've had a few people on here recently talking about manifestation and I think manifestation is just a word for reframing I can't to I can and I just think like actually that's crazy like we've people are like I don't manifest I can't manifest well no it's just saying like I can do this rather than I can't mm. do this that's basically mm. what manifestation is but we are being more open-minded to that now which I think mm. is really really good it's the power of language language is so unbelievably important in success in your journey mm. like if you negatively talk to yourself or you say I can't do something even if you're saying in your head or if you like whatever it is like your brain process that information the thoughts that go on in your head and it's just about even if you don't believe in manifestation or you're, you're so right it's just about how are you speaking to yourself and one day I actually wrote down before my like at the beginning of my journey I wrote down everything that I said to myself in one day oh my god I have so many thoughts <laughs> but yeah the 80% of them were negative and I realized at that point I had to make a change yeah. and you're so right we have comparison at our fingertips and I was comparing myself to everyone and that's why I realized that now I was like I want to be on social media making sure that I'm sharing my story from a different point of view stop comparing yourself I always say stop comparing your journey to when you're starting to someone that's three years down the line like stop doing it because when you first start any skill, you're going to be rubbish at it. Yeah. Like, you'll probably feel like you're, this is your, like, 95th episode, correct? Yeah. And you probably are so much better at this than you were in your first. Completely. When right? you listen back, you're like, wow. But, like, you've got to start somewhere. And exactly. I do think comparing is good in terms of, like, motivation, competition, striving to be, you know, yeah. having those goals out there. Like, I want to be like this, or I want to do this. or mm. They've done great. Let me see how I can mirror that. Or to get the information and learn from people, I think it's great. But not in a kind of like compare mirror image way. I think it's very much like it's so different. Mm. But for you to go in and inspire people with a journey which is mentally like <laughs> crazy, like one extreme to the other. We're just talking about the everyday here, not swimming for 14 hours and 44 <laughs> minutes. Like crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I think, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So I now want to touch on being a strong woman and how you found that. And like, because you know, you're inspiring people to be strong and like you've got an incredible career and you already had people in your Asian community tell you you're not going to, you know, marry or find a partner because you put weight on, which is ridiculous. But like, did you ever find or do you ever feel that like being a strong woman can be intimidating? For the wrong people, yes. Mm. Yeah, I think growing up, I was always someone that was outspoken. And I went to a very traditional English boarding school and it was very male dominated. And I was the only brown person in the year, I think five of us in the entire school. And the combination, like me being outspoken in class was, I struggled with. People called it out, people made comments, people. And I can't help who I am. Like, this is who I am. I'm. I'm I have an opinion on things and I am and I care a lot and when I care a lot I'm going to speak about it and I was always against the grain growing up I was always that person that was like I want to I want to do something different 
I want to think out the box. Why does one plus one have to equal two? Why can't it equal three? And tell me why it can't equal three. So I think that throughout my life, growing up through school and through university, posed challenges. And I think that with the combination of quite challenging dating experiences where I found that they failed quite quickly or I got into them and I became someone I wasn't, reinforced the idea to me that being a strong, independent woman, you can't have that relationship and you can't have that amazing, intimate, deep connection with a partner. Mm. Paired with the fact that in our community, despite the fact that my parents are born here, so I'm second yet, like Mm. paired with the fact that in our community, women are supposed to sit, smile, speak slowly. I'm even told now, you speak too fast, you speak too loud, you're too this, you're too this, you're too outspoken. Um, But paired with the fact that I was being told that, put self-doubt in my head. Mm. And it was like, I, it was a big part of my self-development journey and one that probably contributed to my own breakdown in my own mental health because I wanted to be something but my world was telling me that I had to be someone else mm. and I didn't know which one was wrong Yeah, and I was like, do I be the person they want me to be or do I be me and get the backlash? When I'm a people pleaser, and I always talk about this on my socials, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Same. <laughs> Recover- what do you mean by recovering? Like, I am no longer a people pleaser. Fine. Oh, no, I'm sadly still in the people pleasing part of my life. But, like... You're aware of it, though, so maybe yeah. you are recovering. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe. It's so hard, isn't yeah, it? I know. Because you're just like, maybe I could... And it's easy to be like, I could just do what they say, and then they'll be happy with me, or they'll be... Yeah. So I think with that, the combination of the two throughout my 20s and I was always like who am I where do I sit I'm a founder of a company I'm an English channel swimmer I'm an author but I'm a subservient partner like I don't know whether yeah that doesn't doesn't align no so yeah it was definitely a struggle to to find my way and I think again that's why I talk about it so frankly on my social media that you need to be authentic because if you are authentic and you show up as yourself the right people will eventually surround themselves with you and it's something that a journey that I'm still going through finding my tribe I actually had this conversation recently with my partner and he was like you need to find your tribe and like I'm very very blessed that I have now found a man and a partner that is my biggest cheerleader and he is a person that's like will listen to my best like we will sit down, have a screening of every single podcast I do and bless him. I think he's heard all my stories about 700 times, but he would be, he's that person that will like silly things that I have just over time learned to do. Like we were ordering Chinese the other day and he was like, babe, what do you want? And I was like, um, I really would like the spring onions, uh, the spring rolls or something like that. And I was, he was like, oh, I'll have the garden rolls or something. And I was like, okay, we'll have the garden rolls. He's like, no, no, babe, we're having the spring rolls. Like, why, yeah. are you not, why are you not listening to your own voice? Like, that is what you wanted. And yeah. because he's seen me go through that journey of like, being like, oh, I would just please the end of individual. He now calls me out on it. That's so great. So yeah. And having him as like a cheerleader is amazing. Yeah. And like, why can't he cheerlead you and then you cheerlead him? Like, why does it have to be so like, mm. you've got to do one or the other? Like, I, one of my biggest things is like being with someone who like is supportive of me doing me and like, I'm not going to be the person who's going to sit. I'm just, I'm always going to be there for the person I'm with, always. And the people pleaser in me will make sure of that. But like, you know, I just don't want to be the person who's just going to sit back and like, it's their world and I'm living in it. Mm. I want it to be our world Mm. and we're both doing great things in it. Mm. And I think it can be hard. And I, I feel for guys sometimes as well, right? Because they're conditioned to think that like, you know it's kind of the feminism and the, mm. the strong man and the woman and like how is it all playing out and like I know my brother like he likes to be the dominant one who like he wants to be the person to go out there and earn the most money and da, 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 and like it's a hard balance when you might meet someone who also wants to do that and yeah. you're like wait what but I think what's also beautiful is that you can have masculine and feminine energy in both 
individuals. Yeah. I think it, my partner always laughs at me because he's like, I just find it amazing how you can flip between the two because you see me in a boardroom and I have very like masculine energy when like naturally it's known as masculine energy when you come in you're making decisions you're calling the shots Mm. and then I'll go home and sit on the sofa and I'll cry an advert and he's just like I just don't get you as an individual sometimes (laughs) how would you have such extremes but I think when you are vulnerable enough to step into both energies Mm. you can play and you can enjoy both sides like my partner is he is a founder of his own company. He is extremely driven. He has his own identity. He's on stage. He's, and I always, I wrote this in my, sounds really like, woofy, like, but I wrote my ideal partner down after I broke up with my ex. Cause I was like, I'm no longer willing to be with someone that's not going to be my person. That I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And part of that was like, I want him to stand next to me when I'm on stage and cheer me on. But I want him to take stage two sometimes and I can be his cheerleader. And I found that in my partner. And I found that person that's like willing to do that. But also we come home and we're vulnerable mm-hmm. and we talk about feelings and we cry and we have emotions. And yeah. I think it's just the evolution of individuals to be able to be vulnerable enough to step into both energies. Completely. I think also, you know, you're trying to, work out which box you fitted into and I think ultimately like as you've kind of as you're kind of talking about your mindset and you we can do whatever we want to do and you've proven that even in this scenario as well like you can have both if you want it you can have it you just got to I guess be patient and like keep believing in what you want and then you get there but Mm. it's yeah it's a crazy journey that's so hard yes so hard when you're in the thick of it and, and I've done it, I've done it for 10 years. Like When you're in the thick of that and someone is telling you, just be patient, you're literally an F blind at them. You're like, yeah. can you just, like, what the hell? You don't know yeah. what the journey's like. It's lonely and it's challenging and I'm trying to find my place and is this person that I'm imagining even exists in the world? Yeah. Like, my partner was my best friend for five years before we got together and he was sitting right under my nose and I still did not see him. So wow. it's it's re and and that's okay to find it hard and challenging in those moments Mm, mm. because it's it's difficult but my thing is I actually had an an incredible lady and slide into my dms a couple of weeks ago and said to me I've done everything you've said I've put it on my vision board I've manifested it I'm working on myself I'm doing all the things that you're saying but the right person hasn't turned up to my life and I turned around to her and I said what happens if your partner's not ready for you yet what if he's still on that journey or she's still on that journey and she's got three or four months yet? You may be ready, but sh- they may not be ready to come into your life. Please be patient. Yeah, so and true. You have to think like that, but also appreciate and respect the fact that it is hard. And that's okay too. Yeah, it's okay just to be like, you know what? This is shit. Yeah. And just sit in that for a minute and yeah. like ride the journey. If it's like, enjoy the journey. You might not enjoy the journey, but just try and like ride through the journey. Cause yeah, yeah it is it is hard, definitely. Yeah. So I now want to touch on your decision to go plant-based. Yes. So obviously training for the for the big swim and all of that, you were eating meat and now you mentioned that you're vegan. So like what was this shift? I got horrendously sick. Okay. Very, very unwell. My body went to fl- like it was in flight and flight mode. But I didn't realise I was in that for eight, almost 18 months. I don't even know if that's possible. Oh my god, okay, wow. So the moment I stopped swimming, literally the day of my swim, the day after, I that week I slowed down my training. So I almost stopped my training pretty much straight away, which is probably not advised. But my body just like caved in. And I got really unwell. So I had really, really bad stomach cramps every single day, every single meal. I couldn't keep anything in. So I was either vomiting or having severe like diarrhea. Um, Gosh. So I didn't know what was going on. And it didn't matter what I ate, but my stomach was just like in a, a really bad way. And this lasted for quite a long time, probably about six to nine months. And I was so frustrated. I had colonoscopies, endoscopies, I had allergy tests, everything under the sun, and nothing was working. To the point where I got so frustrated that I was like, I need to look at alternatives. And I need to look into Ayurvedic. I need to work, like, Western medicine just hasn't worked for me. So I found a clinic called LifeCo out in Bodrum in Turkey. And it's a fasting clinic where you juice fast and you just cleanse your colon and just, like, um, you have, like, angel water where you, like, spray yourself, like, with <laughs> cleanse your intestine and all that kind of stuff yeah. every day. And I did it. 
And I went out there and it was the first time in about nine months that I didn't have pain for five consecutive days. And I was like, this is life changing. And I was like, what is going on? And I realized in that moment when I spoke to the doctor out there that I had some sort of a pe- like pesticide or some sort of infection in my stomach and I needed to just cleanse it. And then I cleansed my entire stomach and I felt a million dollars. Like my, you know when you just, your skin's glowing, yeah. you're feeling great, energy levels change, like overnight it changed. And I just did a lot of research into everything about my food and actually how much it's impacting my life. And I slowly introduced food. So I started with the raw vegetables and then went into cooked vegetables. And then one day I tried a little bit of cheese and I just flared up. And I realized at that moment that I was like, quite lactose intolerant and it just didn't suit my stomach and I and and growing up on reflection I realized that dairy really just didn't suit me like I had soya from a very very young age anyway with milk soya milk and I never like when I did eat cheese it it made me feel a bit bloated but I I was just like oh well this is normal like everyone just gets bloated but I realized that that's not normal and that's when I was like right I'm never eating never eating meat again because for me I learned that it takes a lot to digest meat and it's and it's not great for you and for me I just didn't want to go through that again so at that point I made the decision I was like I'm just going to go plant-based and it worked and I've there are times when my stomach flares but I know it's when I haven't been like really strict on my diet Mm. and things have slipped in and I I'm I'm trying my best to be 95% of the time I am plant-based but yeah obviously there's times where it slips in and I'm human and I'm okay with that but yeah also, my body tells me that's like, yeah, you know that you should be plant-based. So, this yeah. is amazing. I mean, this juice fast, how long were you fasting for? Five days. And what juices? Was it a range of different juices? Was it? I went, I had um, fr- like actually fruit juices. Yeah. So they had um, a lot of like, yeah, just all different fruits. And they put something in it. I actually can't remember the name of it, but it essentially like just fills you up a little bit. So I was having five or six juices a day. And then I was having all my minerals. They gave me magnesium. They gave me all that. And I was like, had like really, really like hot broths. And um, and there was a doctor on site and there was a nurse on site. So it was in a very controlled environment. It wasn't something that like I would recommend people to do on a day-to-day basis by themselves. I did it because it was extreme because I needed to cleanse my, yeah. my colon. So Wow, that is amazing. I do think that everyone, everyone's body's different and things work for different people. Uh, I'm plant-based as well. And for me, it works. I do introduce eggs now and again because, yeah, yeah, I quite like, for me, I quite like eggs and if they are from a sustainable place, I don't see anything wrong with them and my body likes them, so I have eggs. But I think everyone's probably super different, but I personally feel amazing on a plant-based diet as well. I don't like meat. I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the thought of it. Again, people do have meat and grass-fed and this, that and the other. That's great. For me, it's just not what I want to eat. And I think you've got to work out what works for your body and like again my body will tell me if I'm not having enough variety my body will be like you need to shake this up and like I can just tell like variety is so key for me and like changing things and not being not having the same thing like for example I remember I used to have hummus all the time Mm. and now it's just gonna sound really weird but like if I do a food shop I'll add a pot of hummus in there once that's gone that's gone like Mm. I can't then add it but the next time I do a food shop which is like every once a week or 10 days or whatever it is and that sounds like okay you should that's normal but like it's I was just eating too much of the same thing and I had to shake it up so I think yeah that's amazing I mean your skin is glowing now clearly it's working for you it looks amazing um but yeah that is super super interesting but you're so right it's so individual Mm. like you can't like one thing doesn't like work for everyone you've really it's a self-awareness element and it's like what works for you and like people always say oh you're not gonna like I'm a very like athletic person. I love to train. Like it, it helps my mental health. It helps me as an individual. And they're like, well, you're not going to be able to train when you're plant based. And I'm like, look at the biggest mammals in the world out there. Look at the like, they were grass fed. Like they were, they yeah. were like, you're good. Like you don't yeah. need to be eating. A hundred percent. I think our bodies definitely function very, very well on a plant based diet. There's so many studies for, for both. And like, yeah. Do your own research. I, I'm i very, very pro-plant-based. And people are like, well, you do it forever. I don't think you will. And I'm like, watch me. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I've introduced eggs. So I'm like, you know, 95% plant-based. But um, yeah, it works for me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. We have one last question, Absolutely. which is again about food. Uh, what's your last meal? Start a main course and dessert. What would it be? Oh my God, that's so I hard. know, I you know. Should, you should have prepped me with this one. Okay. I know, it's hard. What would I have? Oof. 
I would have some sort of like starter that's like assorted vegetables, like a really nice like kind of yeah, some sort of like really light starter. Mm-hmm. Um, four mains. I know this is sounds a bit basic, but like gluten free spag bol, like vegan Ooh. place spag bol. I just I'm an Italian. Yeah, I love yeah. Italian. Can't go wrong. Hearty, comforting. Yes, love it, and like a bit Indianified, like a lot of chilies in there, and like loads of flavour. Um, and dessert has to be like something chocolatey. So like a chocolatey mousse or a brownie, a plant or something like that. Like, yes. Oh. And I'm, it's going to be my biggest, biggest portion. Yeah. <laughs> I love a good like plant-based gooey brownie or even like oh. a, a cookie. At the oh. moment, I don't know what's going on, but I'm loving warm cookies. Yes. Divine. Divine. Leah, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, you are such an inspiration. Your story is incredible. I'm so pleased we were connected and that you came and joined me today. Honestly, wow. I'm just, yeah, I'm blown away. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So yeah, thank you again. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you feel inspired after that, as I definitely do. I am on such a mission this year to bring you value with every episode. So if I could ask in return for you to make sure you give us a rating and share an episode with someone you know in order to keep spreading the word, that would mean the world. Thanks so much again and see you next week. (laughs) 